0: Welcome, everybody, to Episode 8, Aged Neurons in a Dish. I am Dr. Christopher Fasano. He is Dr. Yosef Gannett, and we are back for another episode of the Stem Cell Podcast. What's Yosef? Oh, it's great. Happy
1: holidays. How's everything with you? How's your holiday been so far?
0: So far, so good, man. It's definitely the holiday uh, time because it's cold on the East Coast, and the lights are on the houses and all around. So it's uh, we're in the midst of it right now.
1: You got a little Christmas tree
0: action going? I got a little tree action. I went up to the tree farm, you know. I uh, I did the Clark Griswold and tried to pull it out of the ground myself <laughs> and then uh nice lo- loaded it back and it's in the in the living room. It's kind of creepy having a tree in your house, you know. You never know when a squirrel could just like
1: pop out and I land I swear, in your man. Dinner I think it table. is.
0: I think yeah. I got one somewhere. I'm going to try <laughs> I think I hear it, you know, making those weird squeaking sounds. <laughs> yeah.
1: So uh t- are you going to explain a little bit about that title of this uh particular yes, podcast yes,
0: I uh yes I am. So we have a uh, so we have a really good show in general, but the highlight of the show uh is kind of near and dear to yosef's heart. yosef is the second author on the paper we're going to discuss in detail. We have the first author uh, Justine Miller going to join us in the second half to talk about the uh, latest the latest report out of the Lorenz Studer lab, um, talking about how um, they use this uh, protein progerin right? Uh, and they can kind of try to make things old or make them appear to be old as yosef would correct me right yosef
1: yeah it's a gene called progeron and it's the, those those children who look like they're like 80 and they're like 16
0: max and Dude, uh, i saw some of those pictures during the presentation yeah those it's weird yeah it's like
1: a benjamin That's horrible. it's like a benjamin button sort of disease and it's really tragic but uh in terms of uh possibly modeling aged neurons, uh, this is as close, I think, as we could get right now. And the phenotypes were pretty interesting. So I'm looking forward to interviewing Justine, uh, about to be Dr. Miller. Um, nice. Nice. Yeah, Very so uh, I'm glad we're actually interviewing a gra- our first graduate student. Uh, we, we've we done, you know, almost all the levels of uh, the PhD process. Uh, we haven't, you know, gotten the tech yet, but uh, maybe we'll do that. But, you know, we've gotten Dr. H- Hana, who's also uh, just published a uh, Big study in nature yesterday, so uh, possibly the ground state, and now we're uh, going to the ground state of research, if you will, with the uh, essential grad students, the workhorse of the whole the PhD process. Uh, a lot of these theses, the defense of a dissertation, the uh, equivalence of a PhD, uh, is, you know, a, a lot of the publications that come out are that or postdocs, and... um So it's exciting to to get our first grad student. I don't think we could do much better. So.
0: No, I totally agree. And you know what I was thinking? If we did have research technicians on our show, we would have a great rant section, Yost. They probably would have a lot to bitch <laughs> Oh about. my gosh, yes. There I... Yes. <laughs> yes, I agree with that. Um, but um, so wait. So just so so to... um, well, Let's see. Do we have any business to take care of? Um, Let's see. At Stem Cell Podcast. Uh, podcast at gmail.com. You guys can all get at us that way. Thank you for the continued listens. We're on a steady Uh, steady good pace we are the one and only stem cell podcast so thanks for uh making us uh you know have a reason to get and do this show because we really enjoy it um but let's not waste any more time we're gonna start it up yos is gonna do a little quick science roundup and uh, i'll do my little bit before we get justine on so go ahead man yeah, I mean, I just have to pay some deference
1: to a study that came out in Nature describing a possible ground state for uh, human stem cells, uh, which would be the opposite of what we sort of believe uh, human stem cells to be, which is this epiblast-like state, um, whereas uh, mouse stem cells have what we traditionally thought to be as a ground state, which is dependent on different growth factors, such as LIF, um, whereas human stem cells are dependent on FGF. And apparently, uh, in this uh, study that I read briefly... um, there is a cocktail that you can now use to generate the ground state in human stem cells, which was never possible before. It's a stage before uh, the epiblast state. And uh, epistem cells are sort of a term we throw around to uh, reflect the stage after the ground state and um, it all depends on how you derive stem cells what stage and you know uh, it's sem- somewhat is arresting the developmental stages of an embryo and um, this is a major breakthrough uh, wouldn't you agree Chris I
0: totally agree I'll talk about another one that came out just for everybody uh, out there so I think we did this on one show Yosef, but uh, the human embryonic stem cells, like epiblastic, it still can make all the cells in the body. It's still pluripotent. It just it can't make the extra embryonic layers like yolk sac and things like that. So the mouse embryonic stem cell, like Yosef was saying, for some reason is a step behind it. So it's, it's more of a truer, it's the truer stem cell, the truest stem cell, if you will, because it can make not only... Um, all the you know the cells in the body, but it can also make you know yolk sac and extra embryonics, trophectoderm things like this. So uh, so you know we're working in the human world with a slighter slighter differentiated cell, uh, and Jacob Hanna's group and another that I'll speak of later has found a way to push that back to the top of the hill kind of Yeah,
1: thing. and it involved a, a cocktail with you know the usual players FGF2 uh, there was wins, you know, right? yeah the, wins. there was some cheer in there which we've talked about before on this podcast. There was also a P38 inhibitor and a junk inhibitor JNK inhibitor so it's uh you know a little bit of rock inhibitor which we use for single st- uh, stem cell and you know encouragement Of growth, and uh, it's pretty interesting. So, we'll see. Uh, I wish we could have interviewed him about this, to be honest. Uh, You know what? We can get
0: him back on the show maybe next time, or maybe we'll grab both uh, for both papers uh, at separate times, of course. I hope so, because this is a major breakthrough. Moving on,
1: uh, there was a cell stem cell study from UPenn showing that activation of wink can stimulate hair growth. And, you know, I've seen stuff like this before from like. Elaine Fuchs lab over at Rockefeller's. You know, it's amazing what wins do, or, you know, how many processes I they're know. involved in. Um, but, uh, yeah, so that just came out recently. Uh, there was also a nature medicine study uh showing uh, major differences between blacks and whites i I don't know if you know this in America at least uh European Americans versus African Americans. If you have a heart attack and you're black, uh you have two and a half times more rate of uh, dying afterwards why yeah. why is that? Uh, They believe actually, so we use, uh, you know, anticoagulants to stop uh, atherosclerosis or hardening of the arteries. And um, so they showed that uh, blacks have like a a weird response to thrombin, uh, which induces these platelets and it's through the PAR4 receptor. And you know, blacks just have more ex, uh, of a reaction to the thrombin based on this. Uh, so, and some of the drugs actually on the market stimulate this whole process. So, we may have to start prescribing Ew. drugs a little differently uh, based Yosu. on race in America, oh.
0: at least. Uh, and so, that's in Nature Medicine. Uh, um, Yo, yeah. do you know are African Americans at more of a higher? Are they higher risk? For heart attacks? Yeah, general, basically
1: everything bad African Americans are more <laughs> at risk for. I mean, it's, uh, you know... it's not for, funny. It's really not <laughs> it's funny. It's unfortunate, but I haven't seen, like, a real study except for maybe, I don't know, the NFL currently. But, like, uh, just, like, most most studies that are out there, it's, like, you know, we're at a disadvantage both socioeconomically and... um uh, in the survival studies i can 't think of oh except for maybe uh resistance to malaria, <laughs> at least huh. in that you know because of sickle cell anemia, which is also a problem, but at least we have we 're more resistant to uh malaria infection. Um moving on. Yeah, uh, sure. Yeah, it, uh, you know, race is a tough one. Anyhow, moving on, there was a psycho neuroendocrine study, uh, which is all one word, uh showing that meditation can reverse genes uh that are involved in uh well, not reverse, down regulate genes uh associated with inflammation, specifically rip uh K two or I think it's RIP kinase two, and cox two. As well as uh, some HDAC genes were upregulated, some, uh, you know, the histone deacetylases. Um, so that's interesting. Uh, one of the not many studies like that, um, that, that show really how yeah. you, you know, what they call mindfulness. That was over a, a Wisconsin, a Sci, you know, the Wisconsin Madison uh, University. Yep. Yeah. Yep. They're. They're pretty big in the yeah, stem cell, uh, world. Uh, speaking of YSI, another study from there, uh, in J-neuro, uh, the Journal of Neuroscience showing that the estrogen, uh, estrogen, uh, can be produced by the hypothalamus, which is rare because, uh, it's been thought to have occur, but most of it comes from ovaries, uh, which I didn't know. And so, uh, there is, uh, She showed this nicely, this, I forget her name, but she, uh, the head of the lab showed that, uh, with rhesus monkeys that had their ovaries removed, uh, that they can still produce, uh, estrogen via the hypothalamus, which I thought was pretty, pretty interesting.
0: I, you know, Jane Neuroscience solid journal. You know, yeah. good solid journal. Yeah, it's like it's like you know, you know
1: how like Louis CK is like a comics comic. It's like the neuroscientists, like you know, like <laughs> sort of like you know, those guys are doing the groundwork over there. You know, they're, they're doing the gritty neuroscience that like. Doesn't always make it to the news,
0: so I, I like to. I always say call it's it. like fantasy football. You always need that receiver that you know is going to give you ten points every yeah, week. And you you exactly. know, and you know if you want something, you can go to the J Neuro and you'll find a good article there. Yeah, yeah, yeah
1: exactly, exactly. I like that. <laughs> That's a good analogy. Um, there was also a neurology study uh, showing uh, from reachers at Sapienza University. University of Rome Sapienza, Sapienza uh, showing that BCG or Bacillus Calmette Guerin vaccine you know that one they give to all the kids if you're not Jenny McCarthy's kid, I guess. Um, the BCG vaccine, uh, which can prevent multiple, uh, apparently from this neurology site that, uh, children who get that BCG vaccine, uh, have a lower rate of developing multiple sclerosis, which is interesting because as you know, that's an autoimmune disease and this is a vaccine. And, uh, they showed that, uh, the rates, um, it was fifty eight in the vaccine group that did not uh get MS versus thirty percent. I forget how that works out, but uh it's fifty-eight versus thirty percent. And I'm into neurology, which is also a solid journal. So I thought that was interesting. You know, there
0: was a lot of hatred towards Jenny McCarthy about her this whole thing she stirred up, by the way.
1: Well, there was also that study from that scientist. Didn't they yeah. arrest him who it was he like faked the it was in a big journal too scientists from rush uh university in chicago and feinstein the feinstein institute here in new york uh showed in molecular the journal molecular psychiatry that uh sorl1 the gene sorl1 uh which encodes for the sortilin like receptor this uh receptor sort of recycles molecules uh before they become beta amyloid which is this uh, plaque that develops in Alzheimer's patients. Uh, basically, this is a known uh, risk factor in Alzheimer's disease, this uh, sortillin like receptor or sorol1. Uh, so they show that this gene, uh, so they did uh, DTI, which is diffusion tensor imaging, so mm-hmm. imaging of human patients from they have from ages uh, one to ninety six and they showed that uh, if you have a copy of this gene, a uh, certain variation of uh, the sortelin of like receptor, it, uh, tra- it correlated with reduced white matter connections and uh, and also a beta accumulation. Uh, there was also this uh, BDNF variation connection, but uh, I'm not quite so sure about that. But it was interesting the, D- the DTI results. I thought, you know, the brain scans. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, they had po- lots of post mortem tissue and genetics involved. It was a proper proper study. Um, let's see here. Uh, there was a PNAS study, our favorite journal. Uh, Everybody out there loves that now. <laughs> the P, uh, PNAS study uh, showing that blocking one uh, adrener- A adrenoceptors, adrenergic uh, adrenoceptors, uh, and P two X one purinoceptors, Yes, I mangle both of those, uh uh-huh. could block ejaculation in male birth uh basically as a this is a proposal for a new male birth control. And um it's, uh showing that these I don't know if you've ever heard of P two X1 uh Purinoceptor. No, yeah. I have not. Yeah. Uh and one A adrenoceptor. Yeah. Uh so it could be a new sort of birth control for men, but because these uh, rats weren't able to reproduce, Wait, so they
0: don't they don't ejaculate at yes. all.
1: Yes, yeah, it was like you know how tantric it is. It's basically you know how Sting is able to do what he does with his wife. Apparently, apparently, this, this would be you take a pill that blocks those receptors and you can be Sting for a night. I don't know, mm, but um, yeah, so male birth control it's there you go yeah yeah I have, whatever uh, would you tie your tubes
0: um yes okay i i i don't that, you know yeah. why though i say that because i have one and i can only imagine if you have a lot i'd be like have no way when you There's say no one
1: you mean kids yeah,
0: <laughs> sorry, sorry. Kids. Yeah, I have yes. one. I have a, I have one tube. No, you have a beautiful um, child. He's I, so, thank you. He's great. And and I'm and I'm imagining like if there was if I had a lot of kids and I could not have another one, I would definitely do it. So yeah, I would do it. <laughs> okay, sorry to bring that up on the air like that. Sorry, uh, right. no yeah. problem.
1: Um, there was a Science Magazine investigation again. I like these investigations they're doing um, on to uh, publications for sale uh, that in and mainly in China, but also in India, uh, showing uh, that you can essentially buy a publication. And uh, it's 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 surprisingly simple to do. And a lot of it happens in the review process. They'll like put somebody on, add them as an author, and it's not really questioned so much. And so you can buy a publication and get a job promotion and you know help your career which i didn't even know these services existed on the Me web neither. but yeah they do Dude, i
0: didn't know that at all that's crazy yeah
1: so uh science magazine uh you could look into that further uh there was uh did you go to society for neuroscience this year no sir sfn uh, there were some interesting presentations there. I didn't go, but uh, I listened to a podcast that highlighted some of them, including uh one that involved um uh, alertness, essentially, and alpha waves. You know those alpha waves that they could read from yep. those those uh We talked about wearing that helmet before the, the oscillate. You know, where where are those helmets called that they make you wear? Oh, um, e, the EEGs or E yeah. Um, <laughs> They, they look so silly. They gotta make they those look cooler. I mean anyhow. Uh there there was also a presentation from Yasmin Hurd's group at Mount Sinai School of Medicine uh showing that uh THC caused the uh Children of rats to not seek to be less uh, motivated to seek highly tasted food, tasty food. So it was like the opposite of the munchies, but they were strangely enough more obese, like they were fatter. So there Whoa. was some, yeah, memory from the at least the males uh, three generations down. It was pretty interesting. So see what that's all about Uh, hopefully when it comes out yeah there was some you know connection to decrease glutamatergic receptors ampa and and mda and so we'll see how that works out in the end Uh, it's always nice to see some interesting presentations out there um uh there was also a university of michigan study in uh fruit flies uh showing that sex makes them move uh Live longer. And uh, it was also correlated with uh, increased fat storage and resistance to starvation and less stress. And uh, I guess all these things are obvious, but uh, (laughs) it made it to Science Magazine. And uh, it's kind of a breakthrough study. So. Um, really quickly, I want to bring up that China it, this Saturday, uh, so this is the second week of December, uh, so they will be landing on the moon with a rover of their own. Yeah, they are. Yeah, so we'll see how that works out. In the you'll end. have to
0: give us an update on that next time. Though. Yeah, yeah. Rova,
1: Rova, and finally, I'm going to end off with a nice another fruit fly study uh, where they use GFP in uh, their antennas to uh, to sort of uh, figure out what molecules can resemble DEET and able to keep you know tests away and uh they found a bunch of fda approved uh small molecules that uh had scents that were uh also found in plums and in grapes and are ch- cheaper and probably less harmful than deet so uh, you know deet that like oh yeah, yeah deet's no good yeah, man yeah, yeah. so uh, that was an interesting study that was in nature as well so um Bunch of, bunch of exciting end Very of the cool. year, you know. I'm going to have to maybe wrap up all the biggest ones of the year at the end of the yeah, year. we should
0: so. do that, like a wrap-up, like a, our top, our best, Yeah, you know. So uh, you got anything going on? What's going on on your I end? I do. I'm going to say to everyone out there that I do have a little throat situation. So <clears> throat> excuse me if it gets a little raspy. Um, so you were talking about those journals, you know, science, I think it was it's, where the bribing was taking place no no
1: science investigated science magazine yeah yeah yeah. um
0: so there was this article i read it uh, i picked it up it was just on in the media you know you for the guardian online and it was written by randy Scheckman, who'd won the nobel prize we talked about him there for the uh the the snaps and snares right vesicular release
1: oh yes oh yeah i was just reading that actually in yeah it was in nature
0: right yeah, so, so he wrote this article titled How Journals Like Nature, Cell, and Science Are Damaging Science. Now, those are the, arguably, they are the top three journals you can publish. And so he, he started to say that basically the incentives offered by these top journals distort science, just as big bonuses distort banking, right? So he's saying that the science is a profession that is achieving great things for humanity, but it's disfigured by these inappropriate incentives because publishing in these journals ultimately leads to career advancement, you know, um, getting tenure, getting publications, getting these nature, you know, putting things in nature and sell. And he's not a fan. Um, what he's saying is that, um, you know, they're, while they do publish many outstanding papers, they do not publish only outstanding papers. Um, and it's just really, they're just flash. A lot of it's just flash. Right. Um, and he go on, goes on to say that because of this. Well, only um, one out of ten get in. Right. Yeah. True. So. so then he started saying that, you know, because there's this lure for luxury journal and career advancement, that there's a higher incidence now of cutting corners and falsifying data and making things sped up so people can get and more flashy so they can get them in the journals, which is a fact. We know of this. Right. And then he started going on to say how the, there's some better options currently like these uh, open access journals you know where it's not all about the flash anybody can read them they're good science uh, which he Randy Sheckman, is a co uh, is the chief editor of a new one so he's got one he basically not doesn't have one but he runs one which one? here's my here's my problem yos here's my problem and he says it in here too I kind of agree with some of it maybe but don't hate the game it got you your Nobel Prize you know like if if I look at his publications all I see are nature, cell, nature, cell science and so yeah and he says it too like I published there I've done it but now I'm encouraging my lab and others not to so I kind of I don't know I mean look I agree that just because it's a nature doesn't necessarily mean it's a great journal but getting it into that journal is an accomplishment right yes I mean it is it's very difficult and um there are always going to be things like that out there and um you know i don't know i wouldn't go so far to say it's damaging science i think it's flawed but i think it is what it is and everyone plays the game you know well i read that article and you know i i was mainly
1: interested in the whole history of how the you know how it all got figured out and um still it's so complicated i'm sorry that vesicle release is so complicated all those syntaxin and vamp one and all you know the the docking and the you know there's all these models the touch and kiss and i i i read past that but i know that that's gotten you know some people are like oh sheckman's like against the big journals or i heard uh the economist covered this uh In their podcasts and they're an international economics journal and you know so it did it did get some attention so yeah
0: i mean i understand parts of it but it's kind of like you know i don't know it's kind of what is it like someone making billions by working in a bank and then coming out and being like banks are horrible i mean like yeah okay you're gonna tell me that i don't have 200 million so, like, I feel that, but I also do agree with some of the things he says. And I think, I think it is tough that pressure on publications today. We're going to do that at the end of the show with Justine. We're going to have a little true/false. So let me let's end it there. We'll come back to the subject a little bit later. Um, I saw that the international, um, the um, international stem cell corporation issued a press release today, Yos, and it was they have a, basically they've done trans, transducible transcription factor. So basically, they can now reprogram somatic cells with proteins. So they're able to just take Yamanaka's genes. <laughs> That's funny. Not, it's not his pants, but his genes that he <laughs> This it cocktail does. that he discovered. And <laughs> they, they stole have, his genes. They won't they just, give it back to him. <laughs> look at your genes. Look at your genes. So they basically now can add the proteins to cells and reprogram them that way. So I, it was very. it's nondescript. It doesn't tell about the details of the study. Um, this is a public company, so uh, it will remain to be seen. I, the the efficiency is probably low, but in IPS, you don't need a lot. You just need it good, you know? So,
1: Yeah, that'd be nice. I mean, we there's been a whole bunch of small molecule approaches, but if uh, you could do it with proteins that are a little bit bigger, why not?
0: Proteins are the real deal, so we'll yeah, see. What as happens. long as
1: it's not messing with the genome, it's pretty
0: attractive, so. Why not? So that was uh, on a press release today. So in Cell Stem Cell, um, there was a paper published talking about what Yos mentioned in the beginning, achieving the grounds the human stem cell ground state. So this was by uh, out of the Huk Hui I can't pronounce the, is the gentleman's last name. Yos, I'm terrible. It's from a lab in Singapore. Yu Shen Chan was the first author. It was induction of a human pluripotent state with distinct regulatory circuitry that resembles pre-impla- pre-implantation epiblast. How do you spell the last name? It's H uh, U C K hook s- with a, with a hyphen. Okay. H U I N G two separate words. H U I and wow, man! I'm just, I am could not
1: sympathize with you on that one. Yeah, I didn't. I don't want to okay. mess it up. Yeah. So I'm just I'm just gave it first <laughs> off of the credit. As an American,
0: Despite- I'm amazed you got that close. Thank you. <laughs> but, um, so basically, it's another story talking about the ground state. I think we'll hold off on this for another time, Yosef, because I think it's deserving of it's a good, fair discussion because it's a pretty significant achievement, and I would really like to get – Either uh, Jacob Hanna back on, uh, or or someone who's familiar with this. Well, maybe. the
1: whole idea got introduced to me, for, I guess, through Ron McKay's group. So hopefully we yeah. could get him. I was going to say maybe
0: we can get Paul that. tazar on too. Ooh, he, yeah, he knows you know, a lot about the ground. You know, he's state. good with that. Yeah, uh, there was another paper in Cell Stem Cell. Um, that was I I, I really liked because I'm into this whole uh, repairing um, genomic mutations using these CRISPRs nowadays. Yes, so, CRISPRs and talons are
1: the talk at, of baby. the
0: town. So it's functional repair of the gene editing town that is. Yeah. So CRISPR is like a gene editing method. So functional repair of CFTR. CFTR yes, is cystic yeah. fibrosis transmembrane conductor receptor. It's like one of the most hallmark things in cystic is that, fibrosis. Is that what
1: uh, the sun in Breaking Bad su- suffers from? Cystic yes. fibrosis. Yes. yes. So Dude, by the way, I finished. I finished it. Okay. Breaking Bad. I'm sorry to I'm, distract you. <laughs> amazing. So I amazing. I know. I love it. I love um,
0: it. So functional repair of CFTR by CRISPR in intestinal stem cell organoids of cystic fibrosis, fibrosis patients. So this is really cool. So you could take single mouse or human intestinal stem cells and you can grow them in culture and for a long time, and they'll generate these mini guts. They're called these, these epithelial organoids. You've got okay. me intrigued at mini guts. Mini gut. I want my own mini gut. Yes, you have so my then, ear. If increased cyclic AMP levels will induce like a swelling of these organoids by the opening of the CFTR this, this this transmembrane domain, okay. This response they found is lost in these organoids that are derived from cystic fibrosis patients They can't they, they can't get that response. So they used CRISPRs and they corrected the mutation in the CFTR locus in these stem cells in these patients. And what they found is when they did that. They can restore the ability of that receptor to function again. Yeah, dude, that's this is the
1: future? We've been waiting for gene dude, editing. That's some it's badass here. stuff, right there. It, it's tell you here. What. It's here. We're gonna be gene editing Huntington's, whatever we can. Dude, I just they saw, just went uh, in
0: there like a pencil and just erased the mutation, and they were like, "Oh, good." Yeah. I that's, think a Bill Cosby picture pages. He just uh,
1: says, the only problem is some off-target effects, but we'll we'll work through that.
0: Off-target, off-market, no problem.
1: Yeah, it, well, it could keep it
0: off the market, but <laughs> yeah, uh, but we'll get. But point is, what like you said, we'll get it there. Yeah, exactly. Um, so um, cool. I, I I actually plan to spend a good amount of time on ground state, but I'm not going to. I think we should just wait, Yos, and I think we should get Justine on the phone and get into uh, your guys' uh, paper because it's it's really cool. There's a lot to go over, and there's probably some good discussion to come out of it. So, yeah, man. Say? Why don't you bring her on board? All right, yo. So um, this is really cool. I'm sure it's really exciting for you. It's exciting for me, and it should be very exciting to everybody out there because it's really, really cool. Um, we are uh, joined by the soon-to-be Dr. Justine Miller out of Lorenz Studer's Lab to talk about... Um, the latest uh, paper in cell stem cell, and the I love how I could just say that about Lorenz, the latest paper in cell stem cell, um, the title, Human iPSC-Based Modeling of Late-Onset Disease via uh, progerin induced Aging. Uh, Justine, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you for having me.
0: Our pleasure. So um, I don't uh, think I have to introduce to you the other guy in the end. You know uh, Dr. <laughs> Yosef Gannat. Uh, everybody out there, we just said Joseph uh, is involved in the study as a second author on the paper. So I am learning it from the two here. Um, so why don't you, Justine, let's just get started. Why don't you just tell a little bit about your work and then talk a little bit about the study and we could just kind of go from there.
2: Okay. Um, so in the Studer lab, we typically focus on trying to define uh, differentiation protocols to, in order to derive uh, different neuronal subtypes from pluripotent stem cells. And so the hope is that we can then use these in disease modeling. And so, for instance, a couple years ago now, uh, two postdocs in our lab, Sonia and Jay, developed a protocol for deriving dopamine neurons with the hope that we could then uh, model part Parkinson's disease with these cells. But unfortunately, what we were finding is that with uh, these Parkinson's cells where we had taken skin cells, reprogrammed them back to the pluripotent state and then differentiated those into dopamine neurons was that these cells were actually uh, very similar to cells derived from healthy donors. So we weren't really seeing this difference in the disease versus healthy. And so uh, we went to the literature and other labs who are studying late onset neurodegenerative diseases and we were finding that these other groups were actually um, coming to similar conclusions as well. And so we wondered then if this meant that there's actually a fundamental problem with modeling late onset disease using cells derived from these pluripotent stem cells. And so in the last couple of years, there's been this idea that maybe there is a reset of age during reprogramming, so that if you take a skin cell from an age donor and reprogram them back to the pluripotent state, that you're actually erasing a lot of the age-related markers. And in addition to this, it's also been thought or known that with differentiation of pluripotent stem cells, you actually give rise to a more immature cell type. And so, um, as a result of this, as we know, at least for late onset disorders, this age is a very important component. And so, we were thinking that these um, pluripotent stem cell derived dopamine neurons were actually just too young in order to model Parkinson's disease.
0: So, so sorry. Let me just let me just for everyone out there. So, really, it was kind of like the elephant in the room because you have a disease that typically appears in aged people, right? So, something that right. like will happen to I uh, think average onset. You guys know what is like 60s, somewhere around there, early 50s, mid 60s, and mm-hmm. so, and so with this new technology, we can now generate these cells and observe them dying. But I remember when I was in the lab, it was kind of that elephant in the room. It was like, are they going to die? Because, or do we have to wait 50 years? And it was, it was kind of like a joke, you know, haha. But it was true. It was, uh, uh, is this really? And so this is kind of really the crux of what you're saying, and kind of where this goes in the study, right?
2: Right, right. I mean, really, people have only been seeing these kind of early biochemical phenotypes rather than any kind of recapitulation of these cells actually dying. And so we wanted to find a way then to introduce this aging component. And so we did this by overexpressing progerin, which is this protein that's involved in a premature aging disorder. And so these patients have this accelerated aging. And so we thought this might be able to drive a lot of those age-related uh, phenotypes in order to um, push these cells into a later, later stage so that they would actually reveal the disease
1: Yeah. And uh, some of the findings that you saw, uh, why don't you talk about that, like the neuromelanin and the in vivo results?
2: Right. So um, we use this strategy both in um, fibroblasts and neurons that have been derived from the pluripotent stem cells. And in the neurons, it was really interesting that Um, one of the components that we were finding was this neuromelanin, which is um, this dark pigment that's characteristic in these dopamine neurons. And no one had really seen this before in um, these neurons that have been derived from pluripotent stem cells. And then when we uh, moved this into a Parkinson's model, we found that we got this accelerated degeneration in the dopamine neurons with this added age component. And this also translated into seeing the form of these potentially Lewy body-like inclusions or swollen mitochondria depending on the genetic background of the patient.
1: Yeah, that that for me was uh, the most. At least I was blown away by the in vivo results because you know I have experienced grafting dopamine neurons and the phenotype in the iPS cells, but not in the control line, uh, were really dramatic. I felt like it's hard to bring out uh, such a striking phenotype. But you also looked at the EM level, right?
2: Yes. So that's where we saw these inclusions in the swollen mitochondria. We had um, some extra mice at the end of the experiment where we just kind of kept them going for a while longer and started, uh, you know, we didn't really know what else to look at as far as phenotypes with different antibodies. So we thought, why not look um, at the ultrastructural level and really see what else is going on in these cells.
0: You know, I'm, I'm, I'm just imagining. I would have loved to be there. So for full discussion, I don't know if I told everybody out there I have that I was once part of the Studer Lab. I would have loved to see that man's face when these results were coming out. He must have been so, so excited because uh, I know how hard you know he's been working to get this sort of model in place. And the results are just so amazing. And I, and I know Lorenz's mind is such such a developmental, biological one. He's got a very pure uh, scientist mind. And that neuro neuromelan- that, that melanin result is, is awesome. I mean, it's yeah, so we should cool. also
1: mention that when dopamine neurons are, you know, young and just being born, they, this, this neuromelanin accumulates over time and is a sign of a mature, more, you know, adult state of, uh, dopamine neuron in vivo in the human brain. And so, uh, That came out, and uh, what else did you see at the EM level? There was something interesting in the park and pink... Mutants. Right. Just- so,
2: in um, the Parkin mutant line, we were seeing that um, there was this accumulation of these uh, protein uh, aggregates, where you could see these multi-multilamellar bodies that some people have suggested maybe some kind of Lewy body-like precursor. Uh, we don't really know for sure, but it was very specific to this particular mutation and only in the graphs where progerin was being overexpressed. So it was really surprising. I mean, this whole in vivo experiment was really kind of a home run experiment we didn't really know what we would find but we were really hoping that there would be a striking difference i
0: love those experiments yeah but they're, they're great when you hit the home run of course but they're the, the, the days leading up to an anal- like analysis of those are are pretty pretty awesome feelings. I have to say when I saw the loss of th but the graft was
1: still there with the uh, GFP positive cells I was sort of mm-hmm. like wow that's a dramatic phenotype and uh I'm glad everything worked out for you that was uh I mean it kind of makes sense it's kind of hard to I, I mean, I should, I should say in full disclosure, in the beginning, we were debating on the title for this particular podcast. And I, you know, I, I argued for, uh, aged neurons in a dish. And, uh, yeah. we could put a question mark behind it, but at, at the end of the day, it seems like, uh, for us as scientists to do drug screens and model diseases in, you know, using stem cells, we have to be able to m- make old neurons in a dish. Uh, and uh, this is as close as we could get to it, uh, as far as I'm concerned. But uh, and, um, and
0: and just to be more broad, we have to we have to do this for a lot of different cell types, right? I mean, not just neurons. This is going to be the case in a lot of things. So this establishes a nice, um, so, you know, proof of principle, cool I, concept. Actually, Justine, maybe you could
1: touch upon some of the controversies involved with saying aged neurons. Uh,
2: Right. Yeah. I mean, it's so it's difficult, right? Because we don't entirely understand what aging is, uh, particularly in different cell types, how it differs in different cell types, if there's overlapping features as well. And so um, with a lot of this, it's it's kind of difficult because, you know, what really defines an aged cell and how many phenotypes do you have to have? And particularly for neurons, I feel like it's really still a black box at this point. Um, so, you know, we tried to go basically based off of the literature and looking for things that were known. But I think there's also um, this idea that maybe this progerin overexpression is artificial. Um, But I would at least argue that it's, you know, it it does really encompass a lot of the phenotypes associated with aging um, as far as shortened telomeres, um, mitochondrial dysfunction, DNA damage, a lot of those classical um, aging aging characteristics.
1: Yeah. And you know what? At the end of the day, the proof was in the pudding and the in vivo results were for me, at least I was really blown away by, uh, and the, you know, the disease specific lines with the progeria, it took the combination. It was like, you need that double negative to see sort of that result, the, those double bad, you know, phenotypes to, to basically, uh, to see a, an in vivo lack of,
0: uh, dopamine, uh, s- synthesis. Right. Can, can I, let me, I do have a couple of questions, Justine. I mean, I, I'm really okay. interested in my lab. We look at, uh, one of our projects is we're studying, uh, environmental toxins in the very early stages of, of neural human neural development. And, you know, in those, a lot of those assays and a lot of those phenotypes resonate in some sort of neurotoxicity, some sort of dying of a neuron. And what we've seen, and what's been reported, is there are different types of death. Neurons die in different ways. You know, they they have these uh, for everybody listening who's not the neuro guy. They have these dendrites, or like these antennas, and sometimes we see a peel back of these dendrites first, and the cell body looks to be okay, and then it gradually dies. And then sometimes we see the cell bodies like explode and die from there. And so there's different ways neurons die. I'm curious in your assays, you're watching neurons die, right? I mean, do they are they specifically dying in a certain way? Is this is this a controlled is Is it it random, or do they all seem to be slowly dying?
2: Well, um, at least in vivo, uh, which was a much uh, longer-term experiment, it does seem like there's this progression of events where um, there is potentially uh, the dendrite shortening prior to anything happening in the nucleus that would indicate apoptosis. Um, And for the most part, that's what we also saw in vitro as well. Um, I think it was only as far as we could tell, only really in the cells that had been overloaded by progerin so quickly that they um, developed this acute toxicity, similar to if you treated the cell with a more generic toxin um, like CCP or uh, potentially 6-hydroxydopamine and some of these other typical toxins that we use. So at least to us, it appeared as if it was more of a degeneration uh, response similar to what would happen in aging rather than this acute toxicity response. That's cool.
0: That's really cool. The, the and, and the other thing is, and I, this is for all the, uh, the uh, people interested in aging because they don't ever want to get old, um, I, I, I guess a question would be, is it reversible? So can you can you take a cell and make it a little bit older and then stop that process? And if you do stop it, does it go back or does it now, you know, so if it was 10 and you made it 30, uh, can you make it 15 or is it always now going to be 30? I, I mean, I imagine with cells that die, it's hard, but with fibroblasts or something, did you ever look to see if you stopped giving Progerin, what happens?
2: Right. So, we, we did actually look at this in the fibroblasts. Um, so, originally, we had started with um, a line where we could play around with the progerin levels um, using drug treatment. And what we saw was that, you know, we could induce all these age-related phenotypes within 10 days. And then if we removed the progerin, all of these phenotypes would revert back to a young-like state. Mm. So those seem to be reversible. We're, it's not as clear in the neurons because they are post-mitotic. Um, it seems like the rate of progerin turnover is much slower. And so even when we looked several days after uh, the last transfection, we weren't really seeing any kind of um, reversion of the phenotypes at that stage.
1: Wow. Yeah, we so should also be
2: cell type specific.
1: Yeah, we we should also mention that normal in normal progeria that uh, the CNS is no is protected, right?
2: Yes, so that's um, because of a microRNA um, that regulates progerin expression in the brain specifically. So it seems to be at a lower level and. We uh, we think that maybe these patients just die too young in order to develop any kind of neurological phenotypes. That's yeah. so amazing. Uh, I see
0: think how it's, it's like they always have built in mechanisms. That's crazy that they have that to make sure that stays low. That's crazy. Yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, it, it's... We'd
2: really like to be able to further study this whole reversibility question um, because, like you were saying, we don't know if we add progerin and let's say take the cell from 10 years old to 30, if we then remove progerin, does that get you all the way back to 10 years old? Does that still leave some marks that are more permanent? And that's something we'd like to be able to further look into.
1: I'm fascinated by these whole things. Like, I, I mean, there's a study of these. I just read about somebody who died from syndrome X, it's sort of like the opposite of this, where the girl was like, you know, she was older, but she looked really young. And, uh, this is the opposite of that, you know, for these kids and to, to, for it to translate into an aging phenotype in neurons derived from stem cells. Uh, I think in terms of drug screening is going to be huge. I, I really do. So,
0: what's what's the window? I'm sorry. Now, like, you can cut me off, Joseph. Yeah. No.
1: Congratulations is what I want to say.
0: Uh, <laughs> I, um, uh, so, go we, ahead. We um, is is there a how much time? In other words, in this process, the cells are gradually dying, and as to Yosef's point, for drug screening, you'd want to see if you can screen something to prevent it or slow it. What's your window there? I mean, the cells die rapidly in the dish. I mean, how long can you control that, right? So then you can just hit them, they start to get old, and then you start your drug treatment with enough time where you could catch them?
2: Right. Yeah. So that's not something we've really determined yet. Um, I mean, because we so we're using a synthetic RNA to overexpress progerin. So the interesting thing there is that we could really play around with the levels. Um, In this case, you know, we were just trying to drive these aging related phenotypes. But I think in a drug screening platform, these could be adjusted in order to, um, you know, control for what's going on and when you want to add the drug and how much death do you need in order to show a large enough effect with uh, with a drug? I mean, in this case it was uh, five days for most of the studies that, that we did, but I think this could go for longer at lower levels yeah. um, and you could really play around with potentially an acute response versus a more chronic response to mimic more of the aging process
1: yeah we should uh, probably give a shout out to uh, Derek Rossi's group for providing those modified RNAs the uh, they're pretty novel and uh, interesting <laughs> technique of ex- expressing genes and D. Ross
0: uh, yeah. Um, um. So great. Yeah. I guess. Yes, uh, uh, Chris, do you, you have so any much. more questions? No, well, I mean, I have a lot of questions, but I, <laughs> know, I'll, 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 I'll pick Justine's brain another time. We should probably uh, continue on. So, uh, congratulations with the paper. And thank you. Uh, I'm sure we'll have a lot. You know, hear a lot more coming uh, down the road with this awesome story. So, Yos, you want to. Uh, get into the next well yeah uh so one
1: question we like to ask all of our guests is uh for you know the average listener out there a lot of people just want to know where's the beef and uh where do you think stem cells are gonna provide some sort of pay dirt for you know all the money we put and effort into the research uh do you see any horizon you know cures on the horizon
2: Right. Um well, I mean I think that there's going to be a lot of advances with the macular degeneration. Um, I really hope that Lorenz is successful with clinical trials with the dopamine neurons um, and being able to treat Parkinson's patients. Um, But I think also there's probably going to be a big push now for this um, idea of developing mature cell types, particularly for, let's say, beta cells, um, for diabetes, or looking at hematopoietic stem cells. Because with a lot of these cell types, people have really complained about the fact that they have this Mature phenotype. So it seems like this has become a common theme and maybe really the, the next um, wave of what's going on in the field in order to get cells that are ready for cell replacement therapy.
1: Wow, it's amazing. It's like for a long time, the hype was how to turn adult cells back, you know, going back and reversing development. Right. And now it's sort of like, you know, it's switched from, okay, now that we did that, how do we make them old again?
2: <laughs> yeah. It's
1: uh, it's pretty funny how that worked out. Um, So yeah, uh, great. And uh, finally, uh, we we like to ask our guests to share a funny story, sort of a comic relief portion. So uh, either from I guess undergrad or graduate school, I'd hopefully it'd be a graduate school story.
2: Okay, so I thought I'd share something from grad school, Um, an instance where basically where we forget about the specialized language that we start to use in the lab and the small details that we take for granted sometimes when we go to teach someone else. So we had um, a new person that was starting in the lab and they wanted to differentiate embryonic stem cells um, into one of our neural subtypes. And so they went to follow the protocol, which talks about using, uh, for most of our protocols, using a media that contains this serum replacement. And for most of the lab, we just refer to this as a serum replacement media. And so this new person, you know, having been culturing the uh, embryonic stem cells, which also uses this serum replacement, they thought that this media was just referring to using this straight serum replacement without any other Mm. additives. So Mm. they couldn't figure out, you know, why the differentiation wasn't working until they finally went to, you know, talk to somebody about the media and the growth factors that they were using. And they pulled the serum replacement bottle out of the refrigerator and said, you know, this is what I've been using. I'm not really sure what the problem is.
0: Oh my
1: god! That, that actually happened, but 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 look, yeah, it is okay. KSR. That is, is right? that is right. that is so within the weeds funny. I love that. <laughs> I love that. that. Is um, within the weeds funny? <laughs> that <That's>, is great. <laughs> that is great. I oh man. So normally, uh, oh, you would really want to dilute that stuff. That's sort of like baking and yeah. only salt or like. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs>
0: You know, just... Uh, yeah, but I mean, I was there when I... You know, I remember when I first came into a lab ever in grad school, uh, people were using this red stuff to grow their cells. I didn't know what the hell it was, and I had to ask the tech where it was, and so the only thing I came up with was, where's that Kool-Aid stuff that <laughs> everyone has? Because <laughs> that's exactly what it looked like. Well, that's oh, great. man. All right. Neurons so, um, do love Kool-Aid. Let us... Uh, <laughs> So, this is what we're going to do. We, we typically rant, you know, because it gives us a chance to get, every, get something off our chest. Uh, Joseph and I have done it on some serious topics like um, like racism and science. We've done it on some stupid stuff, like why I can't know when the next iPhone's coming out. Um, but I want to change it up tonight, and I want to do something because I was reading um, Justine a little bit earlier this article that let me just grab it, that uh, Randy Sheckman wrote about how journals like Nature, Cell, and Science are damaging science, and we talked about it before, and it gave my opinion on it, and um, so we're going to do true-false, and we're going to get an answer from everybody, so just feel, feel like jumping in, and so I'm thinking about this now when I have graduate students, and so I'm starting um, to, to think about the stem cell field and how popular and how fast it moves, and it's so competitive, um, is, is, the, is this pressure to publish in general, but let's even broaden it and say is the pressure to publish in these top-tier journals hurting scientific training? Is it is it going to affect our future brand of scientists? So that's my... That's my I don't know if it's a true-false. It's more of a yes-no. Um, so go ahead. Someone grab it and go with it. I got my answer. I mean, it's I'll, hard I'll, to I'll, say...
1: I'll, I'll it's hard to defend... I mean, to say no to that. Obviously, it's not helping, but it's like you said, it is the way it is. So... Uh, Yes, I don't know.
2: Yeah, I think there's probably, you know, some details that get overlooked and, you know, you kind of rush some experiments that you wouldn't normally if you had more time. So I think it's probably hurting to a certain extent. I mean, hopefully not. Uh, entirely detrimental to the study, where people are faking uh, entire papers. But you never know, I guess. At this point,
0: you don't. And see, for me, it's not even there. You know where it is? It's 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 you know, graduate school. And uh, now I'm saying this, Yosef, and I'm thinking of you calling me old. So I'm like, damn, am I being this old guy right now? And <laughs> I mean, you know. A, as a scientist, you have to learn how to ask a basic question, and that sounds so stupid, but it's so true, and it's, it's, it's an art. And that's, that's kind of why these degrees are what they are. They're doctors of philosophy. You have to be able to think, you have to be able to assess, and then you have to be able to react when something happens. And I feel like that can get very clouded if all, all one person sees, I gotta get this paper published now. Um, it, it tends to kind of make it more of a business than it does art. And maybe it is. And I know the answer to that. It is. Um, and I just wonder how this will evolve. Are we truly just going to select out people that early? You know, so if you don't, if you don't get the big paper in grad school, you're never going to make it. and, And it becomes a very selective group. I hope not. Um, but um that that journal and that that little topic there i don't know
1: i kind of want to push back a little bit because like cells uh, nature sci- science they are the top 3 right and um but like a lot of the stuff that's being like Quote it, or or being published like you know Justine's paper or Chambers at all, which pretty much everybody uses for neural induction. That was in Nature, what biotech? Uh, you know, yeah. they're they're not necessarily have to go in the top three to be influential. So there are other reputable journals that are highly cited and referenced. And so I kind of want to push back and say, yeah, I I know that pressure's there, and PIs are like you know desperate to to publish and um who could blame them but like there's still you know pure scientific review by colleagues who know the field and it's still a beautiful process that we engage in even though those top three superstar journals exist
2: yeah, I mean, I think I agree with Yosef as well. I think in the next couple of years, there's probably going to be a lot of pushback for those people who aren't getting into the the top tier journals like Cell Nature and Science. And I mean, now, you know, with the there's being more, they're opening up more, um, areas to be able to publish in with the um, establishment of cell reports or, you know, these other journals, which are quickly um, growing as far as their readership uh, because of this whole problem with being able to get into those top tier journals.
0: Yeah. You know, I, I, where I think it is, is I think you need those. I think you need the Lexus, the Mercedes, the Bentleys. I think you need those because it, it pushes you to want, you know, you have to have that to to go to, you have to have that, you know, that journal. That wow, I mean, I, I totally agree with that. I think I think more where I, where my, where I lie with this is the process. I think the process is flawed. I think getting a paper into a journal is flawed. Um, and, and it, it may directly correlate to the, you know, I don't know, it does to the journal you're putting it into, but, um, I would like to see more so, um, a a change in that process. You know what? You know what I thought could have helped is like anonymous submissions, but you know what? People
1: cite their own work, so it's not. Yeah, but you know who it is. You know who it is. Yeah, because people cite their own work obsessively, and you you kind of know who it is if you're in the field.
0: yeah, and like now, I, I now that I'm reviewing a lot more papers, it, you just you know, you know, it's you know, and I, I mean, it's it's just the people have a writing style, people. Have, so I, I thought that way too for a while, Yo. So it just probably won't work. So, um, yeah, I mean, this has just been something on my mind. So glad to hear everybody's take. I think I'll ask just a quick, short couple questions. You guys ready? Um, we talked about. Um, Uh, where the the next stem cell therapy will be, I will ask, do you both see what will be first, cell replacement or drug discovery based from stem cells? Oh, you take that one, Justine. Um, If you had to pick one, where do you think it will happen first?
2: I think it's tough because, you know, with the, the drugs... I mean, there's such a long pipeline for that, right, as far as once you find a potential drug and then taking it through that process. But as we know with starting these, these uh, cell replacement clinical trials, like that seems to be taking a while as well just because of having to basically redefine a protocol in order to um, get to the stage of having these cells that can go into patients. So I don't know if I could really guess which way it'll go. Yeah. I can't okay. I, I'm
1: going to flip the script and say neither. Okay. Uh With <laughs> uh, deep brain uh, stimulation is already like working wonders for a lot of Parkinson's patients. And uh, let's see here. Uh, kind of, it's already happening with cell replacement therapy. Uh, at least the Europeans are doing another round of uh, fetal grafting. So, um I don't know. It's already happening, so I, uh, I I'd yeah, say it's not, cell it's not cell replacement to where anybody can get that right. I mean, Justine has a point. Drug, you know, getting it, that into it, it, the clinic it takes forever, and li- cell yeah, replacement I, listen, therapy I, I, is I, happening I, on a
0: daily basis right now. I don't know which it's going to be. I used to be. I was on cell replacement for a long time as being it, and then I got off, and I started to really see the drug side. But then I was like. Mm, you know i don 't i don 't know I think the main problem that Justine brought it up it 's the fda i mean it 's hard when you 're trying to get something brand new across it 's difficult. I mean we know drugs that 's what we know we don 't know anything else, so in that realm, I would say most likely we would see something with a drug. but I would think that cell replacement offers the best chance of truly offering if people want to use the word a cure or a long term fix. I think cell replacement is really kind of intriguing in that realm. So I agree with you both. I, I really don't know. I see sides to both. Okay. Well, we got nowhere there. <laughs> you got one last. I less. guess like we're not supposed to, right? <laughs> I mean, otherwise if, we, if you just said like cell replacement next, it would be uh, yeah, kind of boring. Yeah. So, it was an interesting. discussion. Like, like my next question will be just for the hell of it. Do you think it would be in, you think it's going to be nervous system or non? I had this debate with Daylon Reese or one time. Do you Daylon think, and of James. course I said nervous system and he said not. Um, but, um, that's so typical
1: between you two. Okay. Justine, what do you think?
2: (laughs) Um, I don't know. I mean, it seems like with all the, the neural disorders that that seems, I don't know. I just feel like I hear more about that work and I don't know if that's from being in the field or if that's really true that it is making more progress.
1: I'm gonna again flip it and say it's already happening with uh, stem cell, you know, bone marrow transplants, all that stuff. It's already happening out, outside the nervous system. On Dude, a you're daily just killing pace. my vibe. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm. you you're just I'm shooting. you. <laughs> I'm you down the other direction. You shoot me
0: down. You're yeah, like
1: do. no. You're like I agree. With both you guys. I'm the guy who's like I agree with no one. So yeah.
0: Well, you know. It's, you know. A, I was at when I was at um, where was I somewhere at a meeting and uh, they were talking about neural and what they were saying was that the neural uh, stem cell kind of you know, wing, if you will, or realm has been has really benefited from really years and years of really thorough developmental biological studies. You know, re, you know, there's been there's a wealth of developmental bio study in the neurobiology. You know. And and all of that translated and helped really accelerate the neural stem cell field. Uh, so that could be maybe why um, there's a little bit kind of uh, to the neural. I mean, all of I think it's 25 percent of all stem cell related grants are nervous system. What about uh, RPE?
1: Uh, no. Yeah, I mean, we all agree that's uh, retinal pigmental epithelia. That's nervous tissue. Uh, we all sort of, uh, you know, we've asked about 10, I don't know, 6 to 10 neuroscient- uh, scientists and a lot of them have said macular degeneration is right around the horizon. So that's, yeah. uh, you know, that's neural tissue that we're delivering to the eye to hopefully cure blindness in
0: old people. So we'll see. Uh, I you mean, know the interesting thing about that I just thought of? So Lorenz Studer and Sally Temple both received Stem consortium grants to take their respective projects to, towards an IND for clinical trial. That's the New uh, York State uh, Stem Cell Initiative? Yep, Stem, And so uh, Lorenz is working with the cells that Justine's working with and described uh, these uh, midbrain dopaminergic neurons which are an you know it's an age disease and these cells we just talked about have this melanin have this pigment. So Sally Temple's group looks at the RPE retinal pigmented epithelium for diseases like macular degeneration and aging disorder in cells which also have a melanin, a pigment that gets more an age. I find that very interesting. Not many cells have that and both of them are uh, in New York State and moving their way towards a clinical trial. Very cool.
1: Yeah. And, and you know it's even more interesting? It was the blind uh, first black governor who, uh, of New York State that sort of initiated that. I always was really proud when he came to MSK. I wanted to shake his hand for the whole thing because funding stem cells uh, was part of his legacy as far as I'm concerned. David Patterson. I think. David Patterson. I can yes.
0: tell you what, the Nice program, uh, is... Uh, is a is an amazing lore and resource for stem cell research. I mean, the only other one really is California, and that's CERM. Up pretty soon. Yeah, CERN, California, uh, and so for scientists in, in the stem cell field, I mean, I'll tell you what, I'm I'm in there writing grants. It helps to have an outlet like that. It helps. Uh, yeah, so, so it's really
2: exciting that they're funding these cell replacement therapy ideas as well.
0: Really cool, and they had they just announced another RFA for new consortium grants, so they're going to accept another bunch. So they're they're you know they're really put. Putting researchers out to the test, they're going to, you know, they they're saying, look, we will give you that money, we will take you towards an IND, but you better show us, you know, we, we want to see it. Uh, good for them, you know. So I really hope that New York State uh, emerges with something great. So, um, all right, Yost, what do you think, man? Yeah, Justine, thank you so much uh, for
1: joining us tonight. I think uh, you did a great job with describing your paper
0: and.
2: Well, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it.
0: No problem. We will surely have you on again. On I will have some better uh, questions that Yosef can answer with uh, without shooting them down so we can have a <laughs> little more discussion. Yosef dog. All right. Yes, so I put, li- on that, put on that music and take us out. Thanks again, Justine. Good night, everybody. And we will speak to you soon.
1: And uh, I look forward to attending your uh, defensive thesis coming up soon. So uh, Dr. Miller coming oh. soon. Good luck. Congratulations.
2: <laughs> thank you. Okay. Thank you.